welcome to Theology on Fire. My name is Christy Furlow, and I'm so excited to be part of the Advent calendar that Theology on Fire is hosting. Andrew and Leah Wilkes are dear friends of mine, and I'm just so thankful for the anointing that God has given them to really handle this podcast. And I'm just excited that you're a listener and that you are able to get just incredible information from their lives. And I'm very happy to be here with you today. Andrew and Leah specifically asked me to address the topic of grief during the holidays. How do we handle grief? And so the reason that they asked me to cover this topic is because a little over three years ago, my husband Clay went to heaven. And so it is something that I'm very familiar with. Um, the grief process is something that I have been walking through for a few years now. And so my intent today is to just share some lessons that I've learned and some things that I feel like God could really impart to you to help those of you who are struggling with grief. And y'all, grief comes in all different forms. Some of you may be grieving the loss of a person and um, you may be grieving death, but some of you may be grieving a marriage or grieving a prodigal child who has left your family for right now. There's so many different things that, especially at the holidays, that we can just be reminded of and it can make this time of year very difficult. What is supposed to be the happiest time of the year, for some of us, it can really be the most difficult. And so I hope today that we can address a few things that will help you as you work through this year. And really my goal, first of all, is just to talk about how God prepared my soul for grief by asking me one very simple question. Will you worship? The Lord posed that question to me a little bit before Clay passed away. And what he taught me through the answer to that question has really helped me tremendously over the last three years. And I want to share that with you. And then the second thing we'll do is I'll just share some very practical things that I've done that I've learned from other people or that God has shown me himself. And we'll just talk about some practical ways that you can help yourself this, this year during Christmas and um, as you look forward to other holidays, because it's just, it's part of the process. And so I wanna really address some of those things. So first, let's talk about Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus. And I know we know that, but I think we have this habit especially as most of us I'm sure watching this are Americans and I just the Lord has really shown me over the last few years how entitled we can be sometimes you know where we really feel like we deserve something from the Lord or that we deserve a certain lifestyle or for our dreams to be fulfilled in the exact way that we want them to be fulfilled and so God has taken me through a process of really breaking me of that and I want to share a little bit of that with you today so we're gonna start in the story of Matthew, the account of Jesus's birth in Matthew. And we'll pick up in chapter two, verse one. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. I know you know the story and the wise men come to the palace and they speak to Herod and Herod says, I don't know what you're talking about. And so he sends them to Bethlehem and tells them that they will find the king of the Jews there in Bethlehem. So they leave the palace and they set out for the town of Bethlehem. And then we're gonna pick up in verse nine. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I think a lot of times we romanticize this story. We see these beautiful paintings of nativity scenes, and we probably all have one in our house right now with these beautiful wise men in a beautiful stable. But y'all, the reality of this story and this situation of how Jesus came to earth, it's not pretty. The stable wasn't pretty. The, the place where they were staying while they were in Bethlehem, it probably wasn't pretty. They didn't have very much. They weren't wealthy. They weren't people of, of great value in society. God's plan was to do something that men would never expect, which was to bring his son, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, to bring him through a humble and lowly situation. And so think about these wise men, y'all. For years, they studied the stars, and they knew something very spectacular had just happened. And they were pursuing something that was great. And so when they came to the town, first of all, we imagine it like three men riding into town on three camels, holding three little bitty boxes in their laps. But that is not what happened. The, the scholars believe that there was probably at least 12 of these wise men and that they were traveling across a great distance with what we would probably equate to now is millions of dollars worth of these expensive gifts that they were bringing to Jesus. And so they probably traveled with an army. They were traveling a distance. There was probably, there could have been thousands of people in this caravan that were coming there to find this king that they were expecting. And so they come to the palace where they expect him to be. And the palace says, we have no idea what you're talking about. Go to Bethlehem which is just a lowly little town, but they do it. And one of the, what I love is it says that they saw the star. They went, it says, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where he was. And so God reminded them, hey, you came here to the palace to find me. I'm not here. I'm not where the world thinks I should be. I'm over here. But he gave them that star again as a sign that they should follow the star until they found Jesus. But y'all just imagine they've come with all this pomp and circumstance, all these really wealthy people with all this money and these gifts. And they, the star rests over the top of what I'm imagining to be just a little village home. It probably had a dirt floor. And they, they get off of their camels and they knock on the front door and Mary answers the door and she's probably in rags She's probably holding Jesus. He's probably about two years old by now. And he's probably dressed in rags and just very simple clothes. And I just wonder when they knocked on that door and they saw that, did they think to themselves, we can't leave these expensive gifts here for these people. These people don't deserve these gifts that we've come so far and traveled so far to bring to them. I just wonder if they really questioned what they were there to do. And can't you see yourself in that picture? That when God gives us a vision of our life or we dream dreams about what we think our life is going to be, that we set out on, on our life and we think that we're headed for the palace and we're telling God the whole time, I'll give you everything, God. I'll worship you with all of my heart. I'll love you with all of my life. Just use my life and make me valuable in your kingdom. And we think we're headed to a palace. And then when we realize, oh, wait a minute, this is what you want for me? This lowly village home, this woman who looks like she can't even take care of these gifts that we've brought to her, you want me to give everything to this? 
Have you ever asked the Lord that question before or had that thought cross your mind? Most of us would have to say yes to that, y'all. But what God is saying to us in the way that he orchestrates our lives is, will you worship me no matter what? If you're in search of a palace, but you find yourself at the door of a lowly village home, will you worship me? Will you still give me your gifts? And our answer to him has to be yes. That God, when my life takes an unexpected turn and I have no idea what you're doing and I'm not able to see how this could be good, I will lay my gold and frankincense and myrrh at the feet of this infant baby in the arms of this mother that looks so simple. I will lay my gifts there and I will worship you even though it doesn't look like I expected it to look. Y'all, that is such a simple thought. And, and I know it's probably something that you've heard before. And I know it's something that God has probably revealed to you before. But the work of the Holy Spirit to engraft that willingness into your spirit is something that is very miraculous. Because we can talk about that story and we can you can be listening to me right now and you can be shaking your head. Yes, I agree with that. I'll worship him. But it's really not until you're standing at that village door that you realize, am I going to? Am I going to have the strength to do this? But I can promise you, if you will say yes to him, he will give you the strength to do whatever it is that he has asked you to do. And he will walk with you through this time. And so I encourage you this morning to really just put this before the Lord and ask him, God, give me the strength to worship you with all that I have no matter the circumstances of my life and no matter the situation that I find myself in. It's not what I expected. It's not what I want. This grief is overwhelming me because my life isn't the way that I want it to be. But when we really recognize that God has a plan, it's an eternal plan. Y'all, he knew what he was doing when he brought Jesus through Mary and through Joseph and into that little village of Bethlehem and not through the palace. He knew what he was doing. God is unexpected. God is unpredictable. And we have to trust him and know that his plan is great and he knows exactly what he's doing. And so I encourage you to just put that before the Lord today and ask him, just God, work this into me. Give me the ability to worship you no matter what my circumstances are. Now, I just wanna tell you a few very practical things that God has helped me with over the last few years as I've worked through this process. Um, Number one, when it comes to holidays and grief management, the first thing I can tell you is be prepared. It is going to be hard, accept it, and just know it. Now, if you are just now dealing with the loss of, of, of someone that you love and these are your first holidays to go through without them, I'm telling you, it's gonna be hard. No matter how much you love Jesus, no matter what you've done, it's gonna be difficult. So my first advice to you is be prepared. Think ahead and plan and know that you need to have a plan for how you're gonna handle things. Number two, I would tell you that it's good to change things up and find new traditions. So for me and my family, um, Clay passed away in September. And so the first holiday that we experienced was Thanksgiving that year. And y'all, I just knew that I couldn't do it. I normally hosted Thanksgiving. We would have a lot of people at our house and it was one of Clay's favorite holidays. And I just knew in my heart that I wasn't gonna be able to do it well. And so I talked to my kids and I said, what do y'all wanna do? And we all agreed to go away for Thanksgiving. And so we went on a trip. I took the kids, we went by ourselves, just the four of us. 
And I, I needed that time so badly to just be alone with my kids and just to check in with them and to really be able to make that adjustment into that first holiday. And so I encourage you, it's not running away and it's not avoiding the situation, but if you feel in your heart that you just need to do something different, do it. Don't be pressured to handle your grief in a way that other people think you should handle it, but be free to do the things that you know you need to do for yourself. So that first Thanksgiving, we went away, me and the kids. And then for that Christmas, I talked to the kids about it and I asked them what they wanted to do. And they told me that they really wanted to have Christmas at home. And so we did. And y'all, we just embraced it as much as we could. We decorated our tree. My tree is covered in ornaments that are specific to years and experiences and trips. And clay has very specific ornaments that are hanging on the tree. And so we just made the most of it. We hung them up. We talked about memories. We cried a little bit. We laughed a little bit, but we just embraced the moment and we just went for it. The third thing that I want to tell you is let everyone in your life grieve differently. We all handle things differently and we can't put pressure on one another to respond in the same way. And so I encourage you, if you have children, um, the way you handle just your parents, anybody in your life right now, that the best thing you can do is give people space to grieve the way that they need to grieve and don't put pressure on one another. I remember one day when we went to see Clay's um, headstone when it was first put in place and I went to my kids and I said, hey, I'd really like for all of us to go together and see it. And my daughter just looked at me and she said, mom, I just can't. I I'm not ready and I just don't wanna do it today. And I had to just say, okay, boys, do y'all wanna go? Yes, okay, let's go. And we just let my daughter stay at home. And so I encourage you to do that. Don't put pressure on one another. And then I also wanna tell you this, talk about your loved ones. Don't stop talking about the people that you love. We have talked about Clay from the day he died constantly. My children act just like him. We hear his favorite songs. We do things that we know he would love. We talk about him all the time. And it has really helped our family to cope, knowing that it honestly feels sometimes like he's still here with us because we just talk about him all the time. So really encourage you, don't stop talking about the people you love that have already gone on. And then the last thing I wanna tell you is this, time does not heal. Jesus is the only thing that heals. Don't expect that year after year, things will get better or easier, or think that just if I can get through this first Christmas, the second Christmas might be okay. Time does not heal you. And so I really encourage you to think back on the thing that we talked about in the beginning of this session about just really embracing where you are in your life and allowing God to make you a worshiper, no matter your circumstance, and seek the Lord for true healing in your life not just to pacify the need or to pacify the hurt, but I encourage you seek God for true healing in your emotions and in your spirit. And the way that he heals us y'all is by just showing us his plan for our life. He soothes that hurt. The more that you see how God is able to use the pain that you've walked through, the more healing you're gonna experience. So I hope that this has helped you today. I appreciate the opportunity just to share my heart with you. Honestly, these things are things I haven't talked about very much, just the grief process. And so Andrew and Leah, I do really thank you for asking me to do this and for just inviting me into this process. I hope that this has helped you and I hope you've enjoyed it. And so I just wanna say, I hope that you all have a fiery Christmas and I just really appreciate Theology on Fire for that. So thank you so much.